yeah, and that in Outer Worlds, man. Oh, I love that game. I'm I'm smitten, man. <laughs> so it's so good. But not uh, yeah. No, I was gonna say not as good as this film, but it probably is because I like this film as well. Hmm. I realised how much I liked this film last night. I haven't watched it in years, and I really got into it. I really enjoyed it. Really? Yep. Hello and welcome to Filling in the Gaps. I'm Justin. And I'm Darren. Today we're going to be discussing a film called The City of Lost Children. This movie comes back from 1995. It has, well, under IMDb it has two directors, which is... Genet did it. Yes. So Jean-Pierre Genet and I think it's uh, Marc Caro. I really think that one of them was more for like the director of photography, more like the mise-en-scene and like what we're actually seeing in the angles and those kind of things. Yeah, because that's what Junet's credited with, isn't it? And one is more focused, I think, on the story. Right. You would possibly recognize them from Delicatessen, but I imagine if you've seen Delicatessen, you've also seen The City of Lost Children, where I would say they differ is Alien Resurrection, but actually they both worked on Alien Resurrection. Yeah. (laughs) The one that really sets me off, though, is Junet because he did Amelie, which is one of my favorite films. And honestly, I think it's the same type of craziness, but harnessed in a much cuter, simpler story that just feels tighter. I love Delicatessen. I love this movie, The City of Lost Children, that we're going to talk about today. But Amelie is the one that, for me, really feels like it's really just all put together in a much tighter way. Some of the things we're going to talk about today in The City of Lost Children seem to kind of come out of nowhere. The idea of coincidence is important in all three films, but in this one, there are just times where it feels really forced and thrown in there. And not just once. Yeah. <laughs> Two very similar scenes, I think, that, that do that. But to talk about The Save Lost Children is difficult because it is a very surreal movie. It is, I would say all of those in a way feel like a fairy tale but Delicatessen and The City of Lost Children feel like very dark fairy tales. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of like a modern fairy tale with modern elements. Uh, for example, not to get, you know, we are in the spoiler-free section here, but uh, so not to get into too much detail, but science is important in The City of Lost Children, right? So it is a more modern kind of fairy tale than, than what we would have had in a classic one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know even if there's like a, a, a genre for this on its own, but things like Pan's Labyrinth, or even the original Labyrinth, or Princess Bride, like these kind of more adult fairy tales that are a little bit darker. I mean, maybe even to an extent, something like Never Ending Story or something like that. But yeah, I, I love this movie. It's so dark, it's so creepy, and it's got some really amazing bits to it. It's old, but I think it's aged really well. I think because of the way that it's filmed. Because it, like it looks like it's shot in a set. And I think yeah. they go for that on purpose. And that's something that a friend of mine have, we've talked about for years and years, is that movies like Jim Henson's Labyrinth work better for us typically than CG movies because something about the fact that they're using real props and real sets just feels more real. Mm. Even though it may not look as real 
Oh, look, my painting. <laughs> There's something about it that feels more real to us. Maybe that's because we're old school and getting old, but that's kind of the way we've always felt. And I still feel that even with the amazing advances that CG has done for movies, I still typically feel it's much more real with puppets and paper mache sets than if it's computer animated. I agree. As far as reviews, IMDb has it at 7.5, Metacritic at 73, so roughly about the same, and Rotten Tomatoes critics at 79%, audience at 90%. Yeah, of course. (laughs) But I actually would have thought it'd be the opposite. I would have thought that the critics, seeing how visually stunning it is and how unique it is and different... Critics who have to watch movies for a living get so bored with the same. And so I really thought that it would be the other way around, that the audience might go, I don't get it. This is a very weird movie. And that the critics would be the ones being like, yes, this is it. But it's the opposite. This is a fan movie. This is one that the fans love more than the critics. Do you think that the fans have maybe gone back from like 2010s and stuff like that? People who've watched that and have gone back and like up the reviews? It is very possible, right? So this could be the type of film where people love it enough to actually make the effort to go in and do that. Whereas the critics probably just either put it out. I'm not exactly sure how that works for older movies if they pulled from older sources and are using that as the information. Because they wouldn't wouldn't have even, even had the internet in 1995. We would have had the internet in 1995. It would not have been the same. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have even had IMDb, I don't think. No, IMDb would... I don't think would have existed back then. What we had was the Golden Retriever's giant book of information, which was basically IMDb, but in paper format. Right. And yeah, it's amazing how much easier life is now that you can just type it in and go and how much more kind of accurate and thorough I think that they are. But yeah, I'm just surprised, but you're right. Maybe people have gone back. They made the effort to go back and add to it. Stars, there's not a whole lot. We've got Ron Perlman. That's the one people would know. Apparently, at least according to the IMDb trivia section, he doesn't speak French, but he did learn his lines in French so that he could deliver them. He doesn't speak much that fits his character. I will say this. I definitely prefer watching the subtitled version with the French than watching the dubbed version. Well, I watched the dubbed version so we can maybe compare them. Oh. (laughs) I did too, because I found a version for us to watch that had subtitles, but the subtitles were so off time-wise that it was really awkward to watch. So I watched the the dub one you gave me as well, yeah. Oh man, it's, it's, honestly, there are dubbed versions and then there is this. Yeah. This is a whole new level of bad. We're going to get into that, but I will just tease you with this. Ron Perlman, the way they dubbed him. (laughs) As a Russian. Yeah. (laughs) What? He's a Russian living in France. It's very um, weird. It doesn't fit. But uh, yes, yeah, so we have Ron Perlman. And really the only other person I really recognized was Dominique Pignon, I think. Because he's in all of their other films. He's in... Is he the guy in Alien Resurrection? Yes. Yeah. And Delicatessen. Right. And Amelie. <laughs> he's in all of them. So if you've seen his other films, then yes, you'd recognize it. Music, though. Did you notice who did the music? Um... Oh, I did. I didn't write it down. I was like, oh, yeah. I didn't write it down. I've forgotten who it was. So, Angelo Badalamenti, known for Twin Peaks. That's right. And quite a lot of other David Lynch stuff as well, which kind of surprised me, but it makes sense. Now that I know it, it makes sense. 
he's great at making music that seems like it's a different world. And that's very much what this movie feels like. It feels like a parallel universe, a kind of steampunk dark universe. And I like it. I would definitely recommend it to most people, but maybe with a caveat that you have to be a bit open-minded. It is a little bit strange. Not as strange as some of the other stuff that we'll be talking about in this podcast. We're going to watch Lost Highway soon. (laughs) Right. But I wouldn't recommend Lost Highway to everyone. Whereas I think this one, Delicatessen is a harder push, right? Amelie is anyone. City of Lost Children is, yes, see it, but it is strange. So I, I feel like I'd have to kind of preface, I'd kind of have to warn them of that. But that's kind of it. I really want to get into this movie. So without further ado... Let's get to the spoiler section. Bing. The movie opens up. We are looking out the window at a pretty much perfect snowman. We're coming in. We see toys as they're... I think there's like symbols clapping and moving around. A little boy watches as a rope and Santa boots come down out of the chimney and he's all excited and he's happy and Santa has a little toy for him and everything looks good until there's a second Santa and then a third and a fourth (laughs) and then a whole bunch of them. The kid is kind of shocked and what we're going to cut to though is a bald man screaming. This bald man is Crank. He is kind of like the mad scientist of the movie. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He plays it well. (laughs) He does. There's also a little woman here. Her character name is... Mama. Most of the clones will call her Mama. As far as IMDb, she's Madame Bismuth. Okay. And... The clones, right? So there's a bunch of clones. Crank's going to go over. He's a bit upset. He's basically going to open up the sarcophagus, and we see that there's a child inside. The mama, Madame Bismuth, she says, oh, my poor baby. And like the old man is crying. The clones start, like, crying and screaming themselves. Everything smashes. Yeah. <laughs> there's a bit of narration, but we find out it's not narration. It's actually in movie, talking about mad genius crank and he's stealing children's dreams. We find out that it's being narrated by a brain that's in a tank with some speakers off in the corner. (laughs) This is Irvin, who all the clones will call Uncle Irvin for most of the movie. And we're going to pull out even further. We're going to see that this is all a floating fortress. A lot has happened. Yeah. But boy, does it set up exactly what's going on in the movie and give you an idea of One, how crazy this movie is going to be. You've got a brain in a fish tank. You've got clones kind of screaming and crying because somebody else is. And you've got this machine. Yeah, the big dream-stealing machine. And I think that that kind of signifies what this movie is going to be about in a very, very good way. This machine is key to everything. We're starting off with it. And we kind of already know what it does. And even if you didn't know... That narration tells you he's stealing dreams, so now we know exactly what's going on. Well, he's not stealing dreams. He's stealing nightmares. <laughs> he, he hasn't had a dream yet. That's the whole point. He's trying to. He's trying to get a dream, yeah. After that, we pull out to a kind of like a carnival circus type thing. Ron Perlman, his character is called One. 
yeah. or Mr. One, and he is locked in these chains. There's a man touting how powerful he is, trying to get money from people. There's a kind of cult off to the side telling people to give up their eyes so they can truly see. Mm -hmm. As people are listening to them for some reason, I don't understand, <laughs> there are all these little kids walking around and stealing wallets. When they try to do that in front of the Ron Perlman section, that's when the tatter catches him. The kid, uh, I think the kid bites him at this point. Yeah. And whoever is kind of watching over the kids comes up, stabs that guy, and then disappears. They all disappear. Yeah, it was a bit much to stab that poor guy for just witnessing someone steal something. But yeah, I mean, that whole uh, whole opening, if you can call it open A and open B, is like you get the, the floating kind of oil rig thing where the mad scientist is, where Crank is. And then you got this city, which looks incredible, but it looks like, a, it definitely looks like a set, but it looks magical and it just... Everything, right, even down to the color of the water, is all done on purpose. It's beautiful. It's like it's like art. I mean, it's like looking at a painting. So good, and there's just so much to take in. Like you said, you got all these different people running around, and so many characters. But at the same time, like with other movies, you know, where they're throwing characters at you, especially with modern movies. Not to bring up Star Wars, but I've just brought it up. But when they're throwing characters at you, that have nothing. In five minutes, this movie has done more than most movies do today for their characters. Yeah, and I think that character development, and especially the way they're introduced, is incredibly important. And they've done it in this one. And I would say they do it in every one of theirs. They have a fantastic way of doing it. But yeah, so let's get into the next part where they're in the trailer, this kind of leaking as one is trying to take care of the man who, you know, touts for him. But he also has this character we're going to call little brother because that's how he refers to him the whole movie little brother is there eating away as we will always see him yeah even eating candles at one point yeah he belches which is apparently important three three times in the movie yeah. i counted <laughs> these men outside with it's brilliant this bit one robotic eye, I guess. Like. Yeah, so we're going to be calling them uh, the Cyclopses mm -hmm. because the kids refer to them as such. They also have a kind of overly sensitive hearing thing so that they can listen in on secrets, I guess. And they're trying to tempt little brother with a candy apple, which he definitely would have done. Like on a fishing pole, like yeah. straight out of a cartoon. But one stops him. One grabs it, takes him, and then they hide away in a closet but eventually they are found out, and they take off with little brother, and one chases after but can't catch them. But hold on for a second, mm -hmm. because the actor, who's basically one's boss, you know, mm -hmm. he deserves some kind of, I don't know, award. How can you lie on a bed with your eyes closed with having someone drip water on your forehead and not blink? Did you notice that? Mm -hmm. He didn't, didn't even flinch. How long did it take to get that shot, man? Because even if someone taps you in the forehead, it's like... Your automatic reflex is, you know, to react, to flinch. I don't know, man. Maybe they would knock him out or something like that. Just <laughs> <laughs> While he was actually sleeping? I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. Maybe he just knew it was coming and so he could do it. I don't know. I don't know. I have to put that to the test. <laughs> Mythbusters. But yeah, so then one takes off. He ends up finding these kids and tries to explain what's going on. But there are other Cyclopses coming after them. And... Basically, they do another kind of cartoonish gag where they tie up one 
to make it look as though they're robbing the place. The Cyclopses come in, they want their... You kind of shake them down. Yeah. yeah, like I say, they want their cut, but basically they want everything. They're like, oh, you're working pretty hard. Give us everything. But the kids are clever. At least Miet, the head of them, is clever. She's hidden some money under one. After the Cyclopses leave, she gets the money out, divvies it up, and even gives one a bit of money. I guess you helped us out, so here you go. And was going to leave them behind. But as we've already seen before, one can break chains. So the little wraps that they gave him on this flimsy chair is not going to stop him. <laughs> but as he goes to follow them, the kids start throwing stones at him. Yeah, they don't want him around. And there's a very kind of, we don't want any more adults in our lives, which kind of makes sense. Every adult we're going to see in their lives just rips them off and tells them what to do and has no love for them whatsoever. No. These are all orphan kids trying to get by. Yeah, it's basically like the Oliver Twist Club. We cut back to the fortress where the clones are singing happy birthday to their Uncle Irvin. They've made him a cake that he can't possibly eat since he's just a brain. A brain in a box, yeah. <laughs> there is one clone that falls asleep in the cake. We're going to be told that the clones all have a problem of falling asleep. Which doesn't really come up later on. I, I didn't really understand. I thought that was going to be a problem because he called it the sleeping sickness. Is that going to surface again? I mean, it does when they're telling the story later on, but it doesn't really have much to do with the movie. I remember thinking like, oh, this is what's going to be about. It's about dreams and capturing dreams. There's a problem with sleep in this world. It's going to be about this, but it turns out it's not. No. <laughs> not even close. And it is one kind of loose end that I feel they could have used a bit more. Maybe they did, but it got cut. That is always possible, yeah. Urban says he's going to tell a story because Crank runs in. Urban is telling him, well, you know what? I think that the nightmares are not coming from the kids. It's you. You're always there. You're the one making the nightmares because you can't cry. I don't know why they think crying is so important, but... Obviously, he thinks it is. Irvin tells the story, and Crank's like, oh, okay, yeah, tell me the story. But we find out very quickly that he's talking about what's really happened, right? The inventor who could create life, who made clones in his own image. Obviously, we're looking at the clones. Crank, who couldn't dream, talks about also, I think he did an experiment that shrunk his wife. I think they all did. Yeah, I mean, even the clones, everyone was just, yeah, short. They just came out kind of weird. But this reality, I guess, is enough for Crank to cry. So they collect this tear. He's got one teardrop. They get the eyedropper. <laughs> get, the, get the pipette. After this, we go to the School of Evil, where we have our twin teachers who are joined by the foot. <laughs> yeah, I was confused by that. Like, where are they joined by? Because I thought it was like at the neck. It's like, no, it's not at the neck. Is that at the arm? No, no, their arms are free. No, because that. there's a cooking, cooking scene later scene. where they've got it's all. Like, the oh, it's at the foot. Okay, honestly watching this for the second time now i was like ah this is where they uh stole the idea for the twins from the matrix reloaded i got a very sense of like they kind of took this scene and they tried to use it in the matrix i think that was what they were going for the way that they talk together in the matrix it really reminded me of these twins i could see that but at the same time i feel like this is even this is probably not the first time where they've done this with twins because twins are often said to have this kind of language of their own and to think more alike than any two people possibly could. So maybe it's just yeah, just some of the things struck me as like oh yeah, I could see a connection maybe where there wasn't one, but <laughs> um, but these guys did it better. 
Russia. <laughs> <laughs> this school, they're basically collecting goods, and they're not happy with pretty much any of the goods they're getting. What are we going to do with that clock? It's not worth the nail to hang it up. Oh, you got me three spoons. What am I going to do with that? And with Miet, stop being so sassy and clever and just give us the money. <laughs> and oh, she did bring you a huge pile of cash. It's, yeah. it's, it's out of three spoons. But the weird thing is they know there's more. Yeah. And they, they really show this even more with the poor kid that they threatened to throw in the hole if he doesn't cough up. And then he, he has like wads? two yeah. wads of cash. Yeah. We're going to cut just slightly. The security guy, the guy who I'm pretty sure is the one who stabbed. Yeah. Yeah. Once boss in the beginning, he's basically eating meat and kind of tempting this dog, but not actually giving him any. He has it in a basket, which is tied to the dog. So that if the dog comes closer, the basket will rise. So the dog will never get it. It's quite clever. Yeah. But this is the thing that apparently is stopping one from getting in. He does kind of make it to the window, but the kids try to ignore him. He finds a, another way in from underneath the classroom just as class is conveniently talking about needing to rob a bank. So basically this class is, here's your mark, this is what you need to get to bring back to us. And they're talking about a safe, but they're worried they won't be able to open it in time with the time they have. Two hours to open it, that's what they said, yeah. And they said, well, the only other thing you could do is bring somebody strong enough to move it. And he arrives. Yeah, Ron Perlman comes in. <laughs> and I think just the teacher is immediately like, oh... That could work. Yep. <laughs> so let's get to their heist, which is very cleverly done. I love this. The mouse and the magnet cat heist is awesome. <laughs> and this kind of leads into those other scenes, the kind of long flowing, this happens, so this happens, so this happens mm -hmm. kind of scene. So yeah, they've got cheese that they're putting in front of the grate to tempt the mouse who has a magnet tied to him. Who's going to pick up a key. Yep. Kind of lucky that he's going to pick up the key, I guess. And to make sure that the mouse actually comes out, they unleash a cat to chase the mouse. And he runs towards the cheese. And they've got everything they need. They get the safe out. And they start divvying it up. And one notices the truck that belongs to the Cyclops. And he's like, I need to go get them. And he's really unhappy with the fact that he's been made into a thief to get the information that... Miet seems to know. In fact, he's going to end up dropping the safe yeah. to take off after the truck. But he doesn't get there in time. He punches this pipe on the <laughs> wall and demolishes it, upsetting the lady upstairs. And Miet, who seems like she's done and she's going to leave, she basically just hands him a Cyclops eyepiece and looks like she's going to walk away, but then she returns. And she kind of wants to know, what's the deal? Who is this kid? Is he even worth the bother? Is, is the impression I got. Yeah. And he basically tells the story. One says how he encountered little brother eating from the dumpster or something. Well, from a trash can because it's, uh, it's just like this one here. Yeah. And he throws it because he's very angry. There's just something about the emotion that he gives here that just seems so genuine and how upset he is. And that, I think, is what wins Miet over to help him. Miet, who's obviously the brains of her little... As you put it, Oliver Twist group, right? <laughs> We're going to cut to the twins being angry that Mia is gone. This is where they're cooking and talking together. They're kind of doing sentences word for word. Yeah. Like, I say one word, you say the next word and get through. Which, this is the scene I wonder how long it took. Because mm. not only are they having to do this 
verbal wrestling of back and forth, back and forth. I, I guess maybe a tennis match might be more appropriate. So they're doing this every other line, the timing of that, as well as having to do the timing of cooking while being shoulder to shoulder and having to work in each other's space. And do like half of the job. So it's like one of them's holding the frying pan, the other one's stirring it. When they grind something, one of them holds the grinder, the other person turns the grinder while they're feeding something into the grinder. With It's, it's yeah, I don't know. It would have take, taken a while, that's for sure. I couldn't have done it. <laughs> it's an amazing scene. And it's just very odd to me because here they're basically saying we would be better off if we didn't have me yet. Even though she's the cleverest of their group. Yeah, and she she seems to bring home the bacon. They don't like her because she talks back, I guess. Yeah. They don't like her attitude. So they talk about maybe she could have an accident. So they're already kind of talking about planning an accident for her. They're also talking about the fact that one has the jewels. They think one has the jewels, and so that's why they want him as well. We go back to the fortress lab, and this is where we have the scene of Crank wanting to be told stories. But the stories he wants are very specific. He wants their dreams. And he's asking them all these questions about the dreams, and he doesn't understand it because he's never properly had one of his own. Yeah, they will fall asleep from time to time, and when one is starting to fall asleep, another one will hop in and take over. Which, only one actor, so (laughs) clearly some really good special effects here. This is one thing that I really admire about the special effect is it's i don't want to say flawless but it looks very good it looks like there are six of these guys in the room it doesn't look like there's one that's really strong and the other five are kind of weak slightly translucent that you might get in the old like parent trap or something right mm-hmm. yeah i've got no idea how they how they would do that i didn't i didn't notice any problems with it like that was all fine it was all amazing how they did it even <laughs> That story that they tell when he's like trying to get to sleep at the end? Is that towards the end? This is not at all towards the end. This is about a third of the way in. Is it the same part? Is that what we're talking about when he's trying to fall asleep and they're telling him the story? No, I think I think he's eating while they're telling him this one. All right. I'm, I've, yeah, there's one at the end where they're on the stool and he's like falling asleep at his desk kind of thing. That, that is what I thought. That's, that's the one I thought you were talking about. We'll get to that when we get to that because that's hilarious for some reason we have a clone who brings in a little boy and he's talking to Irvin and asking about is it true what you said about the original clone who is special Irvin tells him yes of course and it's you (laughs) (laughs) that's why you can help me out manipulating him Mm -hmm. he puts the boy in the sarcophagus of the machine and he's going to try out the machine himself and Oh, no, maybe this is the part. Maybe this is the part where he's falling asleep because the clone starts to sleep and then Crank wakens up. Like, he wakes up and he's like, and, and, yeah. <laughs> and like, wakes up immediately. Yeah, so that is this one. Right. That is this one. Yeah, that, the story that they're telling is absolutely insane. Well, yeah, but I think that that's meant to sound like a dream. Like, it doesn't yeah, make sense. Yeah, I know, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's really well done. It's, it's so, I don't know, it's just, like, really vivid and the writing whoever whoever like wrote that dream it's it's so good it's it's really funny it's detailed and it's it's mad even just from them talking about it it's it's like a frank zappa song the clone essentially captures a dream from the kid in some way but what we're going to find out later is that he's doing this for irvin because irvin essentially somehow 
manipulated the dream to be the truth of the story. Something like that. Because we were going to see later that it reveals all, basically. It's very odd. I'm not sure how that works. It's very fairy tale. Yeah. And just the whole idea of, I hope that this gets to the right person. Yeah. <laughs> this, a, a literal message in a bottle. This is one of those amazing coincidences yeah. that the movie pulls off, right? Yeah. We see one and Millet sneak onto a ship. One is disguised as a cyclops. That's how he's going to get through. There is an initiation ceremony going on for a new cyclops where I guess they're going to remove his eye and put in the eyepiece. The cyclops at the head of the orphans, like he's bringing them in, but little brother is not paying attention very much because he notices the giant food pantry on the way in. <laughs> but yeah, so basically what the movie does very well is it sets up this idea of trade. Everybody is trading something of value for something else, right? It's this whole bartering system of evil. (laughs) (laughs) So the Cyclops, they've been capturing the kids to give to the evil scientists. And the evil scientists give... They fix their eyes in place. They give them the robot eyes. Ah, right. Okay. So it's that whole bartering system. Little Brother Belches... Number two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one goes, oh, that's him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he flies down the coal chute to try and fight off everyone, but he can't. We also, in our next scene, so again with the bartering, the Cyclops collects from the teacher. So he, they're collecting the money and everything. In return, they're clearly giving information about where to steal. And so that's the information that the teachers are giving to the kids. So that's what they're trading. We're going to be back on the lab fortress now. Crank and Irvin are arguing. Irvin says Crank can't dream because he has no soul. Again, like, Crank is the cause of the nightmares. We, gosh, this movie, it's all back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> sometimes even within the same scene. So I think sometimes I've actually kind of condensed the two, uh, two chopped up it, scenes together. Yeah. yeah. The teachers are now speaking to a man called Marcello who's smoking from a very large pipe. Obviously something bad. Yeah, he's out of his box, that's for sure, yeah. (laughs) They pull away a tablecloth that shows an old, I guess it's a circus scene, and they say, oh yeah, I always hated the blue cage or whatever, because they used to work together in this circus. Yeah. Marcello is the ringmaster and ringleader for a flea circus, a sort of scientifically magical flea circus. But basically, they need help from him. And we see him feed a weird liquid kind of to his fleas. Or I guess he doesn't actually feed it to them. He more just puts it on he gives their them, face. He gives them like a little pipette almost thing that they put in their mouth. That's like the injection. But fleas can inject anyway, so I, I don't really understand. I mean, it, it's probably just a visual so that you know what's going on. Because that's how fleas transmit disease, isn't it? Because they can drink your blood anyway. But yeah, so they give them this thing that they can suck up this green liquid out of this vial. And it's some kind of mind control fluid, which can cause you to kill someone if they play music, which is just bananas but it works it's so good and it's very creepy because this is this is leading up to the execution scene which i really love again because it's so fairy tale just throw them in the water but no 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 they've got to make it into a game where they're balancing them on these two planks of wood over the water 
with a bucket of fish at the back which kind of keeps them from falling in. But then as the seagulls come in and eat out all the one fish... One by one. Yeah, then they start to tilt, tilt, tilt. Who's going to... And they're taking bets on, like, who's going to go first. And yeah, so along comes Marcello. With his fleas that inject... Who I think is the at least the head of this group of cyclopses. And once injected out of his mouth comes the green ooze. And he just starts killing the others. And in one of the most gruesome, horrific kills of all time. Yeah, man, this is really horrible. He plugs his eye socket thing into the other so that guy can watch himself die. Yeah. That bit, again, if Black Mirror has uh, maybe stolen this part from them, because that is exactly, I forget the episode. Well, you don't the, want to say anyway because you don't want it to be a spoiler. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. So, But that idea, I think that that's going to be used... Forever now. I think that that's going to come up time and time again because that is an awful thing. That was brutal, man. And that's the thing. What's the age rating on this movie? Is it a 15? I don't remember. Because mm. uh, some of it is like, yeah, we're going, oh, it's like a fairy tale for adults. But man, there's some really dark stuff in this movie and that's probably the darkest it gets. Yeah, I would say, in my opinion, that's probably the darkest. However, the funniest, creepiest scene would be one we just skipped, which is Crank trying to cheer up the children by singing to oh them. Oh my god, that was horrific. <laughs> in the Santa outfit. But I I just find it so funny because it's how completely out of touch he is that he thinks that this is a good idea. He's playing a song that no kid would like. He's lip syncing to it in a Santa outfit while the clones are holding sparklers and they've woken them up to do it it, everything about what he chose is wrong. And then... His Santa hat falls off, he's got no hair, he's just like Jack Skellington under there. And the clone breaks the record, so it's skipping, and then... Yeah, that's how he loses the wig, because it yeah. gets caught in the needle. And then there's a sort of happier song that starts to play, and the clones start singing, and the kids seem like they might come around... But Crank puts a stuff to it, he and they're all, it all yeah. and they're all miserable again. It's just casebook. This is the worst thing you could do. Yeah. Those kids crying, man. That's that's genuine. That's 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 certainly not acting. They freaked those kids out on that set for sure. Now back to Miet. Marcello is able to save one, but not able to save Miet, which I think was by design. Right? This is the quote-unquote accident that the twins wanted to happen. Oh, I think, yeah. oh, yeah, maybe. Because he does genuinely feel bad about it, I think. But is that because he was told to do that? Yeah, I, d I never really thought about that. But yeah, now it makes sense. Because I did see remorse in him. Yes, he but, was very upset after. But, yeah, was that part of the job? Because he says it wasn't. He says he tried, but he didn't really try. He didn't really <laughs> at all. But, coincidence, a diver... Walking along the bottom of the river or canal, yeah. happens to catch Miette on the way, takes her back to his place, puts a tag on her because he thinks she's dead, <laughs> and we see that he's a clone, but with a shaggy beard and a scar, and it's, well, is he even a clone? No, he's the original. He's, he's the original. Yeah. But the thing is, Irvin said that he created a clone in his image, and then I believe other clones from that clone. So my thought was that he is the original who was special and could think for himself. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I think too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I thought you were saying that he's the original as so though like he 
was his own person, but I think that he is a clone of Irvin. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then we're on the same page then. And he's been gathering all kinds of stuff from the bottom. Bicycles, boots. But he's also been collecting the toys that I've been throwing out of the the thing. The trucks and things. No, no, out of the oil rigs. Like, he's got the teddy bear, he's got the... Are they coming from the yeah, the cause, fortress? Because that's that's right at the beginning of the movie. He snatches that teddy bear out of the kid's hand and just lobs it out of the window, mm-hmm. uh, and you see it fall down into the into the water, and then it shows up in this special closet in the original's underground kind of lair. And he's like, "No, no, don't! That's not the exit." Because she Miet goes to leave. He's like, "That's not the way out." And as she opens it, a pile of stuff comes out, and he's like, "This is all coming from this one place." Um, right. I, I guess for some reason I thought they were tossing the toys before the kids ever got there. No, because the kid had this stuffed toy it's the exact in, same in, the, in the sarcophagus. Okay. That makes sense to me. That works very well. Yeah, he's collected all this stuff, including the safe with all the jewels. Of course. <laughs> once, once he accidentally steps on Miette's hand and she wakes up, she basically says, well, I'm taking these. I stole them first. They're mine. <laughs> but we also get in this that the original has lost his memory. He, for some reason, has an idea of who he is, but not who he was. Why does it come up? There's something here about he's talking about a tattooed man. It's with, the, uh, the tattooed man has the map through the minefield. Yeah, I don't like that part. I'm going to get to know why. But I just don't understand why it came up with uh, to begin with, like why he would bring it up. Oh, did she say she needed to get out to the fortress? Yeah, I think that's what Oh, uh, okay. Was. Like, you'll, you'll, I didn't you'll, put that you'll in my never, notes. You'll never make it through the minefield. <laughs> Unless... Which I, which I think you would, because they're huge, gigantic mines. That's... Okay, let's say it now. That's my problem. It's not like you're driving uh, the USS whatever through there. It's like a dinghy with an oar. It's just like, bonk, get out of the way. <laughs> they have zero problem getting... So it took... And he walks under the water to get there anyway, so he's got no problems. It took way too long to find the tattoo artist for it to be so worthless. But at the same time, I love the idea. I love the idea that they're walking around to every tattoo artist. Yeah, after she comes out. I, I stopped taking notes here because this bit is, there's a big lag in the story for me here. Because everything was moving pretty quickly. And all of a sudden you've got this one moment where it's Marcello and one in the bar crying. And this scene just seems to go on for like... 10 minutes too long it's just it's i don't even think it's that long but i understand it feels dragged out and it feels like yeah okay just let's you know oh now we've got the prostitute that comes in and tries to cheer him up or okay 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 and then eventually Miet shows up it's like okay now we're moving right there's a, a couple reasons why i think they do that one there's the whole i'm not cold you're a radiator there is Marcello, who we get to see that he is upset about everything because I believe he calls the twins at this point as well and says, oh, she's dead. So, you know, mission accomplished, I guess. Yeah. But we also get to see a bit of one's grief and we know how upset he is about this. But yeah, Mia is going to meet up with her gang while one is getting drunk in the bar and when she confronts him, she's very angry. Like, how dare you be drinking in a bar? Which, as the other kids told her, like, he's over it. He's done. It's not bothering him because he's flirting with women in the bar. When really, like, it's, that's not the yeah. case, right? He's getting drunk to try and drink away his pain. But yeah, she's angry. 
Marcello tells Mia that the twins think she's dead and says it's best to just let them believe that. <laughs> Mia uses her gang to use a crane to move one out of a truck and drop him into the water to yeah. wake him up. But not after that first making bouncing him on a pipe that he has to skate across with a homeless guy sleeping inside it, which then it's a fire hydrant, then he goes like tumbling in, into the water. But at this point, the gang deserts her. We don't get what you're doing with this guy. We're done. We're going home. Tadpole tries to stay for a little bit, and she's like, it's going to be cold. Go home. Mm. Which is a good way to get rid of the group, because otherwise it would turn into Bugsy Malone, you know? So it's like, it's a good way just to like, okay, now it's just Miet and one now. We get a quick scene of the original finding the dream canister. Miet and one talk for a bit. I think this is where they're trying to sleep on some canvas bags of some kind. Yeah. But how's that for a coincidence? It literally falls into his lap. <laughs> I think that dream canister, yeah, yeah. where he's on a, another just random stroll under the ocean, then, oh, what's this? Oh, it's the exact thing that I need. That floated just long enough until it needed to sink to get to me. Yeah. 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 We find out that one was a whaler, but when he heard their beautiful song, he purposely missed and so that's why he's had to switch lives and just become the strong man instead. Probably works better in the French version as opposed to the weird Russian <laughs> accent we got in this one. Mia asks what it's like to have a brother. And one says, well, what if I call you little sister? And she kind of smiles, but not in a way that he can see. And he's saying, well, aren't you cold? She's like, yeah, what are you doing? He's like breathing on her neck or something. He's like, I'm being a radiator, right? It's just this very cute, like, I'm trying to keep you warm. Yeah. Caring for her. As the original sleeps, <laughs> a wonderful series of events happen where a crab falls out of his suit and it basically starts everything. So it's going to lead to all of these things moving, changing, and finally breaking the canister, which opens with green smoke that he inhales. And now he remembers but doesn't remember everything. No, just he rem just remembers enough. <laughs> he just remembers enough, which is also what all the kids apparently seem to get too, because we see the smoke go out, enter windows, and then kids scream, enter another window, kid screams. We get to Miet, and we see the same flash imagery of her dream that the original had. So now she has a better idea of what's going on as well. We get a quick with the original, we get an extra bit where we see the original as a kind of scientist who we don't know why gets into a fight with Crank and Bismuth. <laughs> she kind of breaks a glass over his head and then they dump him in the sea and just leave him. Yeah, I think he was just trying to kill him Well, because Crank was a monster. I don't think that it's very clearly explained. Mm -hmm. I think that this is something that's kind of missing. Why did he hate him? Did he hate him because he could dream? Did he hate him because he was the original clone of Irvin? And Irvin drives him a bit mad as well. Or was he working on something he didn't agree with? We don't really know. But I guess the betrayal is all they thought that was important. Right. With the reality of the stolen children, Mia is in full force now to help out. We see, we'll cut to see little brother fighting off. Doesn't want this sloth that they've given him. So he takes his spoon and prevents the door from properly shutting he sneaks into the kitchen. He gets into the dumbwaiter. And by the time the dumbwaiter makes it <laughs> to the final stop, he's already eaten it all. Yeah. <laughs> he gets into the chair and Crank is talking to him. 
and he's talking about werewolves and vampires, and he puts bones in his mouth and tries to scare the kid. Kid's not interested. He's eating grapes off the table. He's the candles. Never know. Yeah, he eats the candles. <laughs> makes a face. He's like, nah. But that, continues to eat them. <laughs> that one wasn't food, but I'll keep going. <laughs> and in this, Crank thinks he's found the one kid who could help him because this kid is not afraid of anything. We're now going to get our scene of Miet and one looking for the tattoo artist. And she says something like, we've already seen 15 tattoo artists. How many can there be? For every step you take, I have to take three. And he does this very caring thing where he takes off her boots, the one with a hole in it. And he's kind of massaging her feet, then gives her a piggyback. Yeah, which we could assume is probably all day. Yeah. He ends up getting a tattoo that says Miet for life in French. Yeah. And... Miet wants the information about the tattoo. The couple who run the tattoo place are fighting and fighting and fighting until she shows the jewelry. Off comes the toupee, hmm. and on his head is the map of the mines. But like you said, kind of pointless because the mines are so big and their boat is so small, and it doesn't seem to cause a problem at all. No, no. And why would there be a route through it anyway? Well, <laughs> there would be a route, right? Yeah. I mean... For a small boat, oh, you could just go anyway. <laughs> you just go straight through the middle. Uh, Maybe it's only to stop big boats. Big, well, that's, I mean, that's what those mines are for. They're to stop, like, destroyers. They're not there to stop fish, we'll, fishing boats. We'll get a big boat. <laughs> oh, yeah, we do get a big boat later. Or a bigger boat. Okay, we're now going to see the original now that he's got some of his memories or he understands the story <laughs> with his giant tanks of oxygen. Yeah, so he can make the journey. That's he can right. make the journey. He's walking under the mines. We will see the twins taking the flea and controlling one so that he slaps Miette and looks like he's going to choke her out until Marcello shows up and he's going to help save the day. It got so bad that Miette and one were... No, how did it work? So... Wait, wait, I, I've got it in my notes, but you, you can, if you can do it, tell yeah, me. Yeah, so one is being controlled, and then the twins play the, mu- the music box, and he's, like, slapping her, and, he's, and then he's choking her, and as he hits her, a single teardrop flies out of her eyes, lands on a spider web, that causes the parrot to start making noise, which makes the dog bark, so the old man throws the shoe at the dog, and we just got this whole kind of mousetrap. Yeah. So the, the, he throws a bottle, a gull flies off, Poops on a windshield of a car that crashes into a fire hydrant, which frees rats on a raft, which... Go into, like, a parlor. Yeah, and so there are half-naked women running out, which distract the electrician. Yeah, blacks out the city. Who... uh, Well, because of that, the lighthouse goes out. Yeah. So the giant boat crashes Crashes into the the pier, (laughs) stopping centimeters from the twins. Yeah. But dropping one and Miet into the water. And they're trapped now as well between all the debris from the crash and the boat, yeah. Right. And so they have access to fuel and fire, and so they're going to pour fuel onto the water and burn these poor two. Yeah. But then Marcello puts a stop to that. Marcello will put a stop to that because... There's a flea which is going to bite the twins, and you hear the music start to play, and they start to fight each other, and they end up in the water, and they burn. I feel like I've missed one, though. Did the flea one already happen, or does that happen later? What do you mean, the flea one? 
That must happen later. Do you mean the flea going back to, yeah. to Marcello? Yeah, that must have already happened. That right? happened before this, yeah. I might have to throw that back in. Because you, you missed out the part where they uh, they go to Marcello to take the flea and then they have the dogman assassinate him, but he doesn't shoot them because he's like, he doesn't like the twins either. And so he lets Marcello live, but he shoots off two barrels of his shotgun. So the twins think that Marcello's dead. But they've got the flea, they've got the music box, and then they go. Right. That flea's journey, though, is pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. funny because it jumps on a dog, jumps off the dog onto a motorbike, and then it drives to this well, place. He has to jump on a dog that meets up with another dog. And they have sex. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's this whole way of this flea is amazing. Yeah. And it makes it all the way back. Yeah. Yeah, but that would be the other amazingly coincidental scene. I think that everything the flea did was in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. The flea knew where he was going. I hit you right home. This is going to lead to the end of the twins. Mia and one travel through the minefield. Little brother is now in the machine. The original, oh, not the original. The original has taken the explosions, and the clones notice the explosives are missing. Right? Yeah. He says the explosives are missing. Which kind of comes out of nowhere. It's like, why do you have explosives and why are you checking on that now? <laughs> but okay. <laughs> Miet has to crawl through this gap in the pipes. And one isn't happy about that. But he says, all right, if you're going to do that, I'm going to keep track of you with this thread. So he pulls the thread off his sweater. And, <laughs> and as she walks and explores around, his sweater just becomes Unravels, nothing but like yeah. sleeves. It's a beautiful scene. <laughs> I remember the scene from when I first watched this movie and for some reason it stuck with me for so long that I thought this was like one of the main points of the whole movie that was like they had to get through a maze or something like that and this was the thread for Theseus going through the Minotaur's maze but it's actually a really small part because the thread runs out she realises she's been going in circles for a little bit and she finds the end of her thread because he's got no more thread left to give her and they meet up again anyway pretty soon but yeah that, that scene is beautiful and it really it stayed with me for what 30, no, is it 30 years? 25 years. Yeah. The stairs as well that she walks oh, up and down that play music. Stairs, yeah. <laughs> they are <laughs> very kind of <laughs> steampunk way of playing music because they, they don't even, well, I don't even know if steampunk would count. Like they don't require power at all. They, they just require the weight of the just person. bellows, yeah. <laughs> it's just so cleverly done. Yeah. We're going to see uh, Madame Bismuth pull out a revolver that would... <laughs> the size of her. <laughs> the size of her head, anyway. I'd say that would rival uh, Jokers from... <laughs> <laughs> from the original Batman. Batman. The clones end up finding one, but they're kind of helping him out now because the original has shown up and taken over. But he doesn't know that and just keeps on throwing them down that chute. He turns around, there's one more. There's another. He's, like, he's so confused, like, did I just throw you down? All right, you're going in anyway. And then the two more are there and they just kind of look at each other. And then the next scene is just like them, flying down that chute again. <laughs> Bismuth is going to be killed by a harpoon. I love this bit, man. Shot the, by the original. I don't know what the joke is in the subtitle version, but I cracked up, man. I lost it. Because <laughs> he, he shoots her. He shoots her with the spear gun. Yeah. And then one of the other clones comes in. He's like, does it hurt my mind? She goes, yes, I'm allergic to steel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I Honestly, man, I had to pause the movie there because I was crying. It was so funny. It just her voice. As much well, as we've crapped all over the dubbed version. There's some, but honestly. But see, that is one thing I don't like, though. 
her voice is clearly it's like, somebody it's like a helium bloom yeah it's been very pitched up to make yeah. it work and it sounds so awkward i guess it's okay how but does it she just... sound in the in the in the sub version then she's just like a normal woman then yeah I think so. Because they did the same thing with, like, Akira, where they changed the voices of the kids and stuff. Yeah, so if you haven't seen Akira, there's a these kind of phantasmagorical kids. but They're old kids. But they're, yeah. They're old men, but they talk like kids. But in the English dubbed version, they actually made them sound like kids. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't feel right. I want the old people voices. That's what makes it creepy and weird. Yeah. But this one, yeah, this one, I, it just doesn't work for me in the dubbed version. It sounds so weird. But luckily, she doesn't have many lines to say, so it no. doesn't affect things too much. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure in the original, it's just her voice. And I thought, to be fair, while we're on the subject of this as well, to be fair, I thought that Irvin was voiced well. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, there were times where I went, is that John Hurt? Like, is Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> budget budget Hurt. But, yeah, he's he's done well. Um, even Crank is is pretty well done, but oh my God, some of those like some of those bit parts, like in the very beginning when because no one speaks for us the longest time once once we get to the city, but when the first Cyclops has got like the gun, he's like, "Oi, mate, I'm gonna waste you!" <laughs> Shut up! What the hell is that? <laughs> it's Cockney now. All right. Yeah. So that. Yeah, I would definitely prefer the subtitled version. Yeah, I think, but it. I want to say that it's awful, because when I first started watching it, it was awful. Oh, that's was why bad. That's yeah. why I tried desperately to find a subtitle version for us to watch. Mm. But as you got into the longer characters, the characters who actually had more lines and, and were more meaningful, they did a much better job of choosing actors for that. Yeah. Or But not Ron Perlman for some reason, <laughs> who I thought would voice himself. Is it him? I don't think so. I could about 90% say (laughs) that is not him. (laughs) Because we've heard Ron Perlman's voice. Not his Russian voice, though. I don't think he would have done it. Maybe maybe that's why he didn't do it. Because I said, well, we want you to do it with a Russian voice. (laughs) He'd be like, well, I had to speak French (laughs) however long to make this movie. I am not doing a Russian accent. Can you not just take the one I've got? Or how about a French accent, which would make more sense? Yeah. And they said, no, we want a Russian yeah, accent. Yeah, we want Russian. I really think they didn't. I think that the dubbing in this is is not the highest quality. So I'm going to say that they probably didn't get any big names or hey, Ron, whatever it would have taken to get him to yeah. do it. I think they got somebody else. It's also just I mean, the acting for it is not the same. Yeah. It doesn't feel the same. <clears throat> Alright, so yeah. Does it hurt Mama? Yes, I'm allergic to steel. Brilliant line. Awesome. On the floor. Boy, what a terrible woman she is. Yeah! Like, she's great to the clones, but to everyone else, she's terrible. Because she hits Miet to come over. Oh, come over. Here's the key. You need to go through there. You can save everyone. Save all the children. And as Miet's walking over this hatch, she reaches up to pull down the lever. Yeah, to flush her out into the Atlantic Ocean or wherever the hell it is. One catches her by the hair, <laughs> yeah. brings her up, but falls in himself. Why, how does he... I even wrote a note of this. Like, why did he fall in? I didn't catch that part. What happened? It's a bit iffy. Like, I feel like this is one of the bad cuts. This is one of... Something doesn't it, quite it work here. It looked like a lever was next to him and, like, that knocked him in. I didn't catch how he managed to fall in. I've watched this a couple times and I still don't get it. Okay, so fair enough. I just kind of feel like... 
either they had something that didn't work when they got to the footage and went, well, we need to cut it so that that bad stuff isn't there, or whatever they chose was so bad they realized, oh, this is that makes no sense. So they just <laughs> had him slip and fall, I right. guess. Because yeah. that literally is what it looks like. It just looks like he loses his balance for some reason standing on a flat surface. Like, okay. <laughs> they could have had some explosions and that sure. would have shook him. But yeah. Just shaky camera scheme and then fall down the hatch. But that would be something, right? What if they had intended the explosions to start earlier? But then when they started editing, they thought, sure. oh, actually, it needs to be later. Because there's too much time would have to pass like to get to where we need to be. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But that's definitely me filling in the gaps for them. Irvin tells Miet that she must enter the dream to save the little brother. So she does. And there's this whole amazing, crazy scene where Crank will get younger and younger. Miet says, well, you say you're kind of risking everything, but are you? There's a safety net right here with this handle. And... Frank ends up becoming too young to reach it as she grows older and older. And I'm very curious. I do kind of want to stop here. What do you think of the scene? Does this have meaning to you? Yeah, I was going to ask you the same thing. (laughs) Because this part confused me. You know, everything else until now, I can deal with, you know, killer fleas, guys with Cyclops eyes. But this dream thing is like, I didn't understand how this was happening. Like, how did she make him younger? And why did she get older? It's like they trade places almost or something. Like that. I don't. I don't get it. I get that it had to happen so that he can't physically reach the handle to pull it anymore. But why did that happen? Is it her because she can control a dream that he's he's never had a dream and he's been cut off from being in that big machine kind of thing, like where he was he was in control, and so she takes over. Is it like a, a dream warrior thing? I think that a lot of this here is symbolic, and it's going to take me filling in some gaps here. So. Obviously, it's just my opinion, mm-hmm. but I think that he's never had anyone confront him in the dreamscape before. It was only kids that he essentially was controlling. Mia is a very powerful, strong character. Mm-hmm. And to me, she came in and when he was confronted, they both became what they kind of are on the inside. Crank is so petty and selfish and mean. He becomes the little boy that's all he is like a little brat but she's she's more mature she's much more mature so she actually ages when confronted with him and luckily enough it kind of leads to him not being able to to reach it that's my interpretation that makes sense that's a good one yep i I would steal that (laughs) but boy she doesn't stop aging she gets very (laughs) i thought at one point she's gonna die or something like that slow down there (laughs) you can be mature but you don't have to be like 98 years old mature I mean, oh, how they did that scene, though, as well, is incredible, man. Like, the the transition between, like, the actors they got to, like, shave their heads so they looked like Crank. Really well done. Yeah. And, and they merged, they melt the so well. they got well. to play Miet also look very much like an older one. So, yeah. so much so that the first transition, I wasn't really sure, did something happen? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can obviously see it as it goes, but the first one, she... I mean, maybe sisters or something. It's right, just amazing right. how yeah. how alike they are. But we're also in the scene. We're going to get that same Santa scene from the beginning of the movie, except this time it's Miet coming down instead of Santa, and she's going to save little brother. And she has Crank, who's complaining and whining over her shoulder. We're now going to go out to see the original planting explosives on the kind of feet that hold up the lab. He finds one. 
who's fallen into the muck of a bird's like a, nest or something yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, you better get up because this place is going to go. Yeah. We cut back to the dream scene. And what we see is a clip that will repeat over and over again of the clone, one of the clones, but possibly the original, placing the dream device onto Crank, but Crank as a child, as he is now, and doing that over and over and over. faster and faster and faster. And Crank is clearly upset by that. He kind of cries, and then he dies. Yeah. Did you make anything of that? I was wondering if that was... Because he was the... I'd say... I don't know if this is too far out there, but I would say that he's maybe one of the original children that was taken. And they did an experiment on him with this machine. Who knows why? Maybe to find a body for Irving. I don't know. But something went wrong, and that's where Irving says, you know, you're the monster that was created. Everyone else here is fine. Everyone else here is happy and can laugh and have fun. You are the only one that can. You're the Frankenstein, basically. The Frankenstein's monster, I mean. Okay, but now that you've said that, Mm -hmm. what if somehow, before the movie ever started a long time ago, that's why Crank killed the original, because he had some sort of memory of the guy doing that to him. Right. That would kind of fit, and we kind of fill that gap now. So Crank was mad about that, killed him, got rid of him, and the whole time is trying to get back what had been taken from him. Right. And your idea of Irvin wanted to do that to him in order to find himself a new body, that works for me. Mm-hmm. So I think you've kind of filled those gaps there. That's that's quite good. Mm. So let's talk about the ending. Yep. So we've got... Crazy. What a weird ending as well. <laughs> One and Miet are reunited. The original is kind of strapping himself yeah. with the explosives. Why, though? Why why does he want to kill himself? I don't get that part. He does say something, though. He does say, this is like, the void is better than whatever. He's like, off to the void is better than living here anymore. I'm done. He's he's come full cycle. Maybe. I'm not, yeah, I'm not quite sure about that. Little brother is, of course, eating. Yeah. (laughs) That's where... That's where one will oh, yeah, find him. He fight, yeah, he's looking, he's looking for us. And then he, he suddenly stops, almost looks at the camera. He's like, of course he's in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so they're all kind of escaping on boats. The kids and one in, in one boat. Irvin with the clones in another, which they forget to unmoor yeah. the boat. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're, we're not going anywhere. Because yeah, they, they, they say, it's following us. Like, you idiots. <laughs> The original will see notes, lab notes, as they're falling after the explosions. And he suddenly realizes something while looking at them. It's like, wait, stop, save me. But it's too late. So we'll have no idea what what he saw or what made him want to stay. Perhaps he suddenly realized the science he'd been working on and that I mean, he, he could he, make things better. He, I does, don't know. he does shout down to him. He's like, I'm your creator. So it's like, I think he knows that he's not just one of them. Yeah, that he is he is the original. He does change his mind suddenly. Like, no, actually, no, I don't want to die anymore. Oops. Oops. This bird lands and stands on the plunger and boom. Now the whole thing blows up. Explosion. And little brother belches. The end. The end. <laughs> belches in one of those, like, comedy old school where the, the kind of ring of black and just his face like the, the MGM lion. Uh. <laughs> and there it is. We get a cast of characters. The City of Lost Children. I love this movie. I love it because of 
how wild and original it feels, how surreal and fairy taleish they've they've captured through the imagery, through the characters, through just the way that they've visually designed the sets and angles of the cameras that mm-hmm. they use. It's really fantastic. The color schemes that they've chosen to use also add to that. Well, just... Jean Paul Gaultier to thank for that. So. <laughs> Well, he's, 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 he was the costume designer. He's in, he's in, oh, okay. He's in the opening credits. I, I thought you were just making that up. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, on, he's on the opening. He's like one of the top five credits of the movie. You have a really great cast that I think works much better in French than in the dubbed English version. <laughs> but all in all, it just creates a beautiful story. Mind you, with a few gaps that hopefully we've kind of filled in today, and with some really hardcore coincidences that the movie would not work without. But in a kind of fairy tale movie, I can forgive that. Especially when it's so visually interesting at their montages of the flea running around as the crab falling out and all the mousetrap series to break the canister. And <laughs> especially the teardrop that leads to a bird flying and pooping and water crashing and (laughs) yes beautiful entertaining as i've said before if i find it entertaining i will be much more forgiving yeah totally and not a lot more to add to that it's a it's a fantastic movie and i enjoyed it way more now watching it years later gaps filled and more gaps created